the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you, and uh, we have a lot to cover today. Holy cow, we have a lot to cover today. In a few moments, we will talk with Carrie Severino. Carrie Severino, of course, is an awesome, uh, awesome um, lawyer and has been out in the forefront, and she's going to talk about this court packing thing. We'll also talk to uh, a gentleman, an author named... Uh, excuse me, his name is C.B. Sheepy. Sheepy? Sheepy? I might be mispronouncing it. We'll find out. And his book is called Cliff Falls, the Missing Pieces Edition, best-selling novel. Uh, it's uh, an extraordinary uh, book. We'll talk about that. I love books, as you know, and so we will have some fun and talk to him. But we have some work to do beforehand. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, sign up for the daily wink there, What you need to know. I've been on the road a lot this week crazy week. Uh, Memphis, Tennessee yesterday, we'll talk about that. Uh, and today in Florida for some meetings with General Flynn and a lot happening. So, But if you visit ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for the Daily Wink, you will get what you need to know. You will get any daily email, 8 a.m. East Coast time, it goes to your email box. And when you get it in there, you'll be able to see some key articles, some key facts, and then you will also be able to uh, listen to this video. And at, at ProAmericaReport.com, you got lots of other resources there you can check in on. So please do that right now. Okay, uh, what you need to know today, what you need to know today, let's talk about the Chauvin trial again, uh, the Officer Chauvin trial. And you know, I'm actually pre-recording this segment, so I could be a few hours from now before it runs. So I hope, um, I hope that the news doesn't... Um, overrun me. If it does, I hope this, these observations will be, um, will be uh, helpful in terms of understanding the context. My, first of all, my, my prediction is I say we're at 50-50 for mass rioting across America, no matter what the decision in the Chauvin case is. Because the coverage of the, of the case, if he's, um, if he's convicted, um, he will be convicted of something less than uh, premeditated murder. A whole bunch of people will think that is either you know, good enough or not, but they'll head to the streets and there'll be violence. That's my, you know, that's, if, and if he's acquitted or a hung jury, It'll be uh, total chaos. But as you know, uh, Maxine Waters, Congresswoman from California, made these comments over the uh, over the weekend about being confrontational, and she may have inadvertently taken some of the steam out of the effort to destroy our cities and cause mass rioting. Because I think that the um, people that are in charge and have the power of this movement, you know, this loose coalition of Antifa and violent extremists and BLM—I don't know who they are. I think they might not want to embarrass her. So maybe she's taken the edge off. I, I hate to give her any credit. She doesn't deserve credit. She should be removed from office as far as I'm concerned. But here's the most insane thing. President Biden uh, early on Tuesday was asked about this. And he said he's hoping for a good ju- uh, verdict, which he thinks there's overwhelming evidence for conviction. Now, it's just crazy to me that that guy who is a lawyer who served in public life for a long time, wouldn't see how uh, terribly racially biased that is for him to do. I just don't understand how we can think that's appropriate. I mean, there's a point here where you're raising the stakes, 
you're you're sort of it's it's it is jury tampering. Someone compared what Maxine Waters did, and I haven't heard them extend it to what uh, Joe Biden did. They compared it to um, what the KKK used to do, which is and try to intimidate juries that are deliberating. I mean, you know, no matter what the sequestration, whether the jury has been kept away now because they're deliberating, they still have their phones, right? Don't they? I think they have their phones. I don't think you could take away somebody's phone, you know, because for purposes of being connected to their family. Maybe you can while they're actually in the in the jury room. Uh, but pretty soon after, they're going to take a break. They're going to get their phone. They're going to text their family. Someone's going to say, did you hear what Joe Biden said? I mean, this is insane. It's an insane thing that we have a president of the United States that thinks that that's appropriate. And I have to say, at this point, I've said this before, this president, maybe he's making up for his wayward youth where he appears to have been sort of not very nice to African-Americans. You know, he came up in a time where segregation was what he supported and others. Maybe he's sort of making up for it. Maybe he's just muddled and doesn't have muddled, you know, doesn't have control of his um, of his. Uh, White House and other people in charge, but it's constant race baiting and hyphenating and hyphenated Americans. It's an extraordinary thing to watch when most of the country is trying to figure out, you know, what the future is. They got school issues. They've got uh, employment issues. They're figuring out what the future of the information economy is. There, the education system seems broken. Higher education seems to be stalled. All these kinds of things that are problematic. And Joe Biden and his administration are just like hyphenating us to death and they're dividing us. It's it, it, it it's it's unbelievable to see. And, you know, what, I, what I've told you, and you were tired of it, I'm sure, maybe not tired of it, but you've heard me say it over and over again. You can probably say it with me. The narrative machine, which is big tech and big media and now big government joined in, is is so effective. Whether I mean, I almost feel like they're leading Biden. Because they're covering the, the Chauvin trial with such breathlessness and asking him questions that he's then commenting in a way that allows them to go the way they want, which is, you know, race baiting and race war. And as someone said, here's another example on Twitter. Somebody said it might have been Scott Adams, the, the Dilbert guy, as he's called. People call him. He said, um, if, if you're what would you want if you were China? communist regime, what would you want the Americans to be fighting over? Would you want them to be fighting over uh, uh, protecting their country from the immigration onslaught, which is happening? Would you want them to be addressing the fentanyl problem that's devastating our community? I mean, still devastating our community. People are dying all over the place. Or would you want us fighting over race? It's almost like if you try the Chinese, and, and I think Scott Adams was the one, or maybe someone else did it, and he hyphen, he um, he retweeted it. But, you know, is it AI? Is it, is it uh, foreign uh, adversaries? It's like a conversation I had with someone about how there's HBO had a documentary on Q. And I said to somebody, has there ever been a cultural phenomenon in the modern era that the media has been less successful and I believe less rigorous than getting to the bottom of Q? Why can't somebody say who started tweeting about it, who started commenting? They're not really doing investigative journalism if they just don't get to the bottom of it, right? I mean, you can get to the bottom of almost anything else, especially on social media. You can get to the bottom of um, of of, um, of plagiarism stories. You can get to the bottom of, of uh, mistreatment, Me Too mistreatment on the Internet. You can get to the bottom of a lot of stuff. If you, you know, if you've got Ronan Farrow digging into uh, the Me Too movement, you've got, uh, you know, people going into, you can't figure out who Q is. And it was pointed out to me that Q was really faded and gone after the election uh, until 
the, the, the big, the narrative machine wanted some way to say normal people cannot question the November 2020 election. And they used Q as a way to say these people aren't normal. And, and especially after January 6th, and you know that the story is now clear, there was no cop killed at all. You know, Julie Kelly from American Greatness, she should be thanked and encouraged and, and congratulated. There was no cop killed. Brian Sitnik, very sad. He died two days later from natural causes. That's the coroner in D.C. or the medical examiner in D.C. That's, that's the, lead, the medical assessment. So, but after January 6th, the idea was, oh, the guy with the horns, the guy with the, you know, the horns, the Viking, he was a Q guy, Q master. He and this, that, and the other thing, and Q, and Q, and Q, and Q, and Q might be uh, white supremacy. All this kind of stuff, it was a foil, a useful foil for the left to try to drive the narrative machine, to try to drive us apart. But we are now living in a, in a, um, in an entire nation which is dominated by the narrative machine and the narrative machine right now is racism by cops and we should be you know upset that the system isn't right meanwhile we have Maxine Waters and Joe Biden basically putting their thumb on the scale the judge is admitting it saying it's likely to be a mistrial normal lawyers are saying it's going to be a mistrial and we're dealing with this insanity and meanwhile our cities may burn and who where's Joe Biden saying we should have no violence no matter what happens we should have no violence how is that not one of the worst ways you could handle a tense moment? I mean, it's um, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. And so um, hey, one last comment on this, and, and then I'll, I'll leave this alone. But, um, you know, the one factor that is almost un, un it's almost you could almost touch it, uh, uh, and it's this. When I talk to people all across the country, they are so sick of everybody in office, both parties, anybody in office. It's going to be an anti-incumbent year. Now, they, you know, people always say this, and then really it does break party-wise. So I still, if they don't steal the election, I still think it's a Republican year. But people are just spitting, spitting, uh, you know, <laughs> spitting mad at the politicians in office. Just unbelievable. I mean, drain the swamp. Drain the swamp in uh, in Washington D.C. Drain the swamp in the city capital in our in our state capitals. Drain the swamp is just like the theme. It's the theme right now. So amazing. All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Carrie Severino. We'll talk with this great author, and we also later on the show, I'll give you an update on Frank on Frank speech. Frank Frank speech, uh, and uh, the great Mike Lindell's effort to uh, give us more free speech. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. We will be right back. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's time to catch up with our friend, Carrie Severino. Carrie Severino has been on the show a number of times. Uh, she's the president of the Judicial Crisis Network. She wrote a book with uh, the another great author, Molly Hemingway, uh, called Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation of the Future of the Court. She's uh, all over. Carrie Severino has been all over the television, all kinds of things, and uh, especially the, the uh Judicial Crisis Network is helpful when we see trouble. And so we see some trouble now because it looks like the left wants to pack the court. It looks like, to me, President Joe Biden can't stop anything the left wants to do. So we bring in Carrie Severino to explain it all and see what she thinks. So welcome, Carrie. How are you? Thanks, Ed. Good to be here. So what's your thoughts? I mean, you're a good observer of politics. You're a good observer of policy. You kind of can see the ebb and flow. How worried are you about this effort to, to pack the court? 
Well, I, I'm very worried about it for a couple reasons. One, if it succeeds, and as you said, Joe Biden is putting up token to no resistance these days for anything, even the most extreme liberal ideas. So, and this is certainly part of that. This is packing the courts, you know, adding seats just for purely political reasons. It's something he decried as a bonehead idea earlier in his career. Even last year this time, he was saying that's not something he agrees with, and now he's Sure, whatever, you know, and so he's, he's created this fig leaf con- commission that I think is just going to come back with a, a recommendation that they do pack the courts to give him political cover for it. So I, I think I, I worry that he is, in the left is, is just hell-bent on getting it done. That would be horrible for the court. Uh, it would just trigger a, you know, one-way ratchet of everyone. And every time you switch from Republicans to Democrats, we have to add more seats to the Supreme Court to, quote, rebalance it. That would be crazy. But even yeah. if they don't succeed, it's, 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 it can be bad. No, go on. Yeah. No, no. Well, we're talking with Carrie Severino. I want to make sure. Judicialnetwork.com. And, you know, I think it's Poland that has like 60 Supreme Court members or something, right? And, and, and the point here is that, I mean, if you want to end our constitutional, you know, form of government, then go ahead and have it be, as you point out, every time you, because every time you get a really good presidential win, see Donald Trump, he swept in the House and Senate. Mm-hmm. So you could go and load it up again. But let me pause. Let's pause. Again, you're Carrie Severino. We're talking to the president of the Judicial Crisis Network. You've seen these fights. It doesn't look like Biden wants it. He's never really wanted it. I agree with you. He's beholden to the to the progressives. But what about in the Senate? I mean, you know the Senate pretty well. Are the are can you can you rely on a Democrat to be an institutionalist, or is it uh, is it sort of kabuki theater when Joe Manchin or Kristen Cinema say, "Oh, maybe we don't want this because when push comes to shove, they'll come up with a reason to be scared of the left and they'll push it through." Yeah, that's that's the scary thing. Is we are the. the- the future of the Supreme Court is hanging on this, the narrowest of threads because they can win it in the Senate if they can get all the Democrats on board. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, as you alluded to, have said they don't want to do this. But again, that's only that that's only as good as they until you know they get some deal from Biden who says, "Oh, I'll give you this great you know great pork for your state," and suddenly they could change their minds. So it's that's not a guarantee. But even if it didn't. Pass the Senate because we we know that uh, you know, this is something that that's such a harebrained idea. In the past, even people like Bernie Sanders have said this is a crazy idea. So right. maybe you know it does get blocked in the Senate. Even in that situation, I think what we're seeing here is a real danger because it's also part and parcel with this general problem of intimidation of the court that we're seeing. We've already seen Senator Whitehouse a, a couple of years ago, before they even had the ability to do this, in an amicus brief, effectively threaten the court that if it didn't rule his way in that type time was a gun case, but it could be, you name it, any liberal wish list kind of case. And... If they don't rule their way, they're just going to pack the court. So now you've got all these judges kind of shaking in their boots. Are, are, do we, are we going to have the, the court be undermined in such a dramatic way if we don't tow that party line? That is, you know, a way to undermine the institution of the court without even adding a single seat. Well, again, we're talking with Carrie Severino, and, and, uh, and she, she, of course, is at uh, Judicial Crisis Network. And, 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 you know, it doesn't matter to say the following things like um, when Obama was in, they, of course, confirmed justices that he wanted when Bush was in, they confirmed justices. I mean, it is true, of course, that Trump got an extraordinary, you know, third one in his one term, but still it has a certain rhythm. Again, back to the, um, you're, you're right in a way, just bringing it up with some credibility has has the has a sort of 
threatening character to it. But this commission Biden uh, created, I mean, I know from my experience in government, if you want something to die, you put it into a special commission. Now, your point is, yeah, maybe. But in this case, what if the commission comes back with like a handwritten Susan Rice memo saying we have to do this now or we're going to end, you know, uh, reproductive rights and end civil rights and end voting rights. And and, you know, there was an insurrection. We have to I mean, that's that's your fear. Who's on that commission? Have we heard yet or is it just sort of out there? Yeah, and the commission is it, 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 it's out there, right? and, they, and the commission is out there. It is a three dozen member commission, so this is a huge group of people. It's it's largely academics, but if you look at the people on it, you can see exactly where the writing is in the wall. The liberals will say, "Oh, this is great. This is bipartisan. You know, thoughtful, whatever." No, no, no. It's bipartisan because they included in the three dozen members a handful of moderate Republicans, and so now they're going to claim this is some kind of broad consensus thing. Um, even if you had a handful of Scalia's on that commission. There's no way they could outweigh the radical liberals. This includes people like Lawrence Tribe, who's a Harvard law professor, uh, you know, Obama advisor, who was literally the person who came up with the idea of borking Robert Bork. I mean, so this wow. is this is the type of person on this commission. Do you think they're going to come back with something neutral? You know, who knows? Maybe Joe Biden hopes that he can kick the can down the road. Maybe no one's going to notice. But let me tell you, the loudest voices in the left, they frankly were worried this commission's not going to do enough. That's why they didn't even wait for the commission to convene before they're already introducing this bill. So they're not going to let this go away. I think his his move is going to be use this commission. And again, it's already so stacked that we know what they're going to say. Use this commission to then give him cover. We're talking again with Carrie Campbell Severino, the president of Judicial Crisis Network, judicialnetwork.com. Okay, the last time for history buffs, the last time this was really tried, FDR tried to stack the courts. It, it whipsawed against him and popularly so too, at least the way it's depicted in history. Who knows if you can trust it? What's the sentiment of the American people to this? I know I know the reason Biden as a candidate and Kamala Harris as a candidate dodged the question because back then it's, it felt like it would be a bad thing to promise as a candidate. Is anybody out there, you do, and, and I know there's probably some polling, but I, I, I don't believe polling a lot because I think it's a lot of it's fake. But what is your sense of how the American people react to this? What's the context in terms of a, a you know, sort of, it feels to me, by the way, like a, I, I want to drain the swamp of all these people. Let alone let them add more judges. But I, what are you what are you sensing, and what does your judicial crisis network think? Well, you're right. It is very hard to understand polling at all nowadays. But yeah. here's what we know, and I think this is this undercovers uncovers attention, which is exactly as you said, why they didn't want to admit what they even thought about it during the campaign because Joe Biden didn't want to tell anyone what he thought during the campaign. It's because it isn't popular. It isn't popular among Republicans. It isn't popular among Democrats. It's just not a, it's not a good idea. And but it is popular among a very important group, and that is the group of liberal dark money groups that put in more than $145 million into electing President Biden. So if you want to know the problem that these Democratic politicians from the primary last year up to now were facing, it's we have to keep these radicals who are funding us happy, but we also don't want to destroy our electoral chances, so we don't want Americans to know that we're embracing this radical agenda. That's why they wouldn't tell you what they even stood for uh, during the campaign. But unfortunately, now we're seeing the mask is off. You know, they're, they're, they're going ahead and doing the, the bidding of these dark money uh, groups. Hmm. 
Well, again, we're talking with uh, we're talking with Carrie Severino, and uh, and she, of course, uh, I love to say, clerk for my favorite Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, which is amazing to me. But JudicialNetwork.com is that the best place people can follow what's going on, uh, Carrie? Where do you encourage them to look uh, uh, to find uh, information about this battle? Yeah, you can look at JudicialNetwork.com. I, I do a lot on Twitter at JCN Severino, and then also at Judicial Network is JCN. You know, group page um and then sometimes i'll be blogging on bench memos uh online that the the national rural online uh, uh blog on, on legal issues and i know you always i know, always try and you always resist so very quick i just got like 30 seconds any any scuttlebutt though is there any chance justice stevens retires do you think that's even possible or is his temperament like a lot of these judges he's going to hang on till his time well, Justice Garland has gotten a lot of pressure lately. And again, it's these same dark money groups. They're literally running um, billboards, mobile billboards around D.C. saying, retire Breyer, because they, they, he's outlived his usefulness, effectively. And they say, retire <laughs> so Biden can replace you with a black woman. Wow. So they, they don't even, and, and they also are angry at him because he said out loud at, at an event he was speaking at that it was a bad idea. He think, said, think long and hard before you try to attack the court, because that's going to have yeah. bad repercussions. So he, they don't like him anymore. I am hopeful that he's not going to want to play into that. <laughs> right. And one, who they're wait. hitting to make it so clear that it's overtly political. But we'll yeah. see. All right. Carrie Severino, I got to run. Thank you, Judicial, Judicial Crisis Network. We'll put it up on social media. Uh, we appreciate you. And we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, our old friend, almost a weekly contributor now, John Cribb, the author of Honest Abe. Honest Abe? Am I getting it wrong? Old Abe? I can't believe I'm oh, doing this to you Abe. now. Old Abe. Yeah, what an embarrassment. I actually flew from, I flew from my hometown in... Um, in Virginia to through Charlotte down to Florida and over to Memphis, Tennessee in the last 36 hours. And I carried old oh Abe with me in my, in my bag because I've been wanting to read up on it. Cause we're going to talk. I'm going to read it again. And uh, old Abe published by Republic book publishers, a historical novel set in just about the dime days before uh, the presidential convention at which uh, Abe Lincoln gets a nomination and he wins and goes on to serve until his death. And his, his, uh, the author of the book is John Cribb. And John, I wanted to bring you on because I, I, I see the mounting evidence on CNN and other places of the effort to cancel Abe Lincoln. And, and I, so yeah. I want to first, I want to first ask you, like, I know it'll be contextual. People lived at a different time. They said and did different things, but is there empirically evidence that like Abe Lincoln said terrible things or was particularly unkind to people? What's the, what do you see in all the mountain of evidence you you've read over the years? Yeah, no. Uh, first of all, I think Lincoln was one of those people who really bore no ill will to anybody um, in his life. He, he really didn't. He was one of those those souls. Um, he definitely said some things uh, that, you know, he was a product of his time, like we, like we all are. And he said some things that would strike us uh, today as, as, as wrong, as out of step, or even, you know, even bigoted. Um, but those were, you know, fairly, they were far and, and few in between. They really were. Um, mm-hmm. He really was dedicated to the idea that everybody uh, was heir to those principles that were laid by, down by the, the founding generation. 
um, that we all know about and the, 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 uh, the Declaration of Independence that a lot of people at the time wanted to, to cast aside. So I think that this, you know, this attempt to, to cancel him or brand him as a racist is really born of uh, historical ignorance and a certain amount of, you know, just hostility toward this nation in general, I think. When you when you were talking with John Cribb and the book is Old Abe uh, Republic Book Publishers, really great historical novel. But when you're reading back about him in that period, especially, um, w- wasn't he actually being attacked even as a candidate for being, you know, friendly and, and too gentle to uh, yeah. on the issue of slavery? And I mean, that was an active part of the attempt to beat him in, in political office because at the time it wasn't that popular. Right. Right. Yes. And and his fierce stance for our founding principles and his his insistence that slavery not be allowed to spread outside of the South is what what triggered the Civil War. Uh, Lincoln was what was known as an anti-slavery man. He wasn't an abolitionist. He was an anti-slavery man. He he was convinced that uh, slavery was on the path to termination and it would it would happen fairly soon. And if they could only contain it in the South and not let it spread outside of the boundaries of the South. And he, he believes that the, the Constitution gave the federal government no authority to end uh, slavery in the South before the Civil War. Once the Civil War started, it was a different matter because then you're in a wartime situation. But um, and that brought him no end of enemies in uh, certainly in the South, but also. Uh, in the North. But uh, a lot of people don't realize that Lincoln, of course, they know he, he, he issued the Emancipation Proclamation and uh, and was the, one of the leading voices in, in working to free millions of enslaved Americans. But they don't realize that he died uh, trying to advance civil rights for African Americans. He gave the last speech of his life on April 11th in uh, 1865, just a couple of days after Lee surrender to Grant at Appomattox. And in that speech, he gave it from the White House, a window in the White House, uh, to a crowd outside on the White House lawn. And he talked about Reconstruction, and he touched on the idea of black suffrage, of voting rights for black people. He's the first U.S. president to advance it, to try to open the door to that. And uh, there was somebody in the audience who was really, really angry when he heard that. His name was John Wilkes Booth, and he turned to uh, one of his colleagues, uh, Lewis Powell, who was one of his conspirators in the in the plot to, to kill Lincoln and to, to kidnap him, and, and then it turned into a plot to kill him. And he said, "That means when and he used the N word, he said that means N word citizenship." He said, "This is what Booth said when he heard Lincoln talking about black suffrage." He said, "I by God, I will put him through. That is the last speech he will ever give." And three nights later, he you know he puts a bullet through the back of uh, of Lincoln's head. So Lincoln literally died in the fight for civil rights. Wow. So this this idea of, uh, you know, canceling him is ridiculous. Um, and and also um, also we, we give some context to the friendship with Frederick Douglass. I mean, it's it, it has been commented on, of course, and it's historically known. But at the time, not exactly the most natural <laughs> friendship, right? I mean, and and Frederick Douglass in the White House, invited by Lincoln. I mean, it was um, that in and of itself was you know if you if you just if you want to go like in the modern parlance, the optics was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. He was um he and Douglas had a uh a complicated relationship. Um but Douglas ended up admiring him greatly because he realized that what Lincoln was doing, that he was uh that he was advancing the rights of, of African Americans. As a matter of fact, uh Douglas um spoke about after uh Lincoln was gone and he had given that last speech on April eleventh. 
Uh, and, and in that speech that, that made John Wilkes Booth so mad, um, he talked about giving uh, voting rights, but starting out by giving voting rights, he said uh, to um, he said, I would myself prefer that we're now conferred on the very intelligent and those who serve our cause as soldiers. Now, that to us sounds racist almost. What? You know, we're only going to give voting rights to very intelligent black people and those in, in military uniform. Um, but Lincoln knew what he was doing. He he realized that the idea of black suffrage was a non-starter for most Americans. Um, they mm-hmm. just, you know, they weren't going to buy it. But he said if he, you know, he realized if he advanced the idea of, uh, let's say let's 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 how about allowing you know black people who were are educated, who were liter- literate because there were all kinds of literacy tests for voting back then, and those who fought and you know put their lives at risk for us to, to win this war, let's give them the right to vote. He had a real chance to get that through. And 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 Douglas after that speech, he said he said that was just like Lincoln. He said um, Lincoln learned his. Uh, his statesmanship out on the frontier, where he was a rail splitter, and by you know he knew how to split rails. And the, the way he split rails, he would take a log and he would put a wedge, uh, the end of a end of a wedge into a crack in a log, and he would hit it with a maul on the on the thick edge of the, the wedge until that that log cracked in two. That's how he made split rails for all those fences. And mm-hmm. Douglas said it was just that was just like Lincoln. He said he never shocked prejudices unnecessarily. He said. Having learned statementship by splitting rails, he always used the thin edge of the wedge first. And the fact that he used it at all meant he would, if he need be, use the thick as well as the thin edge. So Douglas <clears throat> knew that Lincoln was opening the door uh, to civil to civil rights and voting rights for African Americans that night on April 11th. And once he got that door cracked open, or that log cracked open, he could he could expand it to larger groups of, of African Americans, and Lincoln paid for that uh, with his life. Right. So Douglas, you know, he 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 came to greatly admire Lincoln. Hmm. We're talking with John Cribb again, the author of Old Abe, uh, Republic Book Publishing, available anywhere you get books. Um, just got like a minute and a half left, uh, John, but I, I I wanted to follow up on that. Um, the um, so. He, after Lincoln dies, again, lost to the history of cancel culture, I mean, in a way, you want to cancel Lincoln, but afterwards, the sort of lurch back, right? President Johnson is a, is almost a failed presidency right away, and, and it takes, a, yeah. I mean, it takes another generation to bring back sort of what Lincoln had sort of started, right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You know, Reconstruction was a very tough time in this country, and there are some historians that believe that if Lincoln had lived, uh, that uh, it would have been an easier time, given his political capital he had built up by winning the war and his political skills. And he was very determined to bring the, the country back together again. He, remember, he told Americans in his second inaugural he wanted Americans to treat each other with malice toward none, with charity for all. So there's some historians yeah. that think if Lincoln had lived, that, that it would have been an easier time. Others say no, it was going to be a horrible, rough time no matter what. Lincoln would have had a very hard time with Reconstruction, just like uh, any other president. We do know that the, the, the minute uh, John Wilkes Booth shot him, he created an instant American mar- martyr and an instant American hero. And that has remained true to this day for most Americans. <laughs> Let's hope it stays that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll he's see. not canceled by cancel culture. <clears throat> we'll see. We'll see. Well, keep uh, writing, John Cribb. Thank you. The author of Old Abe, a wonderful book, Republic Book Publishers. And uh, we appreciate the perspective on Lincoln and his life. And in that book, you can get a lot of that there. John did thousands of hours of reading and research on Lincoln. So appreciate it very much. Thank you, John. Thank you, Ed, so much. I appreciate it. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. 
This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, and we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The specter of the so-called gender pay gap has been the dead horse of the feminist movement for decades. Every time a new study comes out saying that the average woman makes less money than a man, the left reacts in horror as though they're hearing it for the first time. A new study from the Institute for Women's Policy Research now claims that women make 49 cents for every dollar earned by a man, which is a stark contrast from the usual 79 cent number thrown around a lot these days. The only problem with the IWPR study is that it ignores the most basic realities of human nature. Certainly, if you take every woman and every man in America, their average incomes will tilt in favor of men. That has nothing to do with oppression or some shadowy cabal of men determined to make life horrible for women. It has everything to do with the choices American women make voluntarily. When women have children, they tend to want to stay home to care for those children. Even in spite of all the stigma the feminists try to put on stay-at-home moms, the choice to be a homemaker is still immensely popular. Some of these women later return to the paid workforce, and some do not. However, no one with an ounce of business sense would think it's fair for a woman who's been away from the office for 5 or 10 or 20 years to make the same pay as the man who's been there the whole time. While the woman may be just as talented, she lacks the practical experience and institutional knowledge that the man has accumulated. The late Phyllis Schlafly liked to say that the American woman can have it all, just not all at once. For Phyllis Schlafly, she was an author, a wife, a mother, and had every single job you can have in grassroots organizing. For women and for men, every opportunity has a cost. We must reject the feminist lies and embrace the right of every woman to choose the life of a homemaker if she so desires. The idea of a patriarchal pay gap is a myth designed to poison women with a false victim mentality. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For more than 50 years, Phyllis led the fight against the dead-end road of radical feminism. Today, with the rise of so many savvy young conservative women, new voices are emerging. You're invited to voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Great to be back with you, and thank you for joining and tuning in today. Uh, let us uh, let us talk for a moment about the great uh, Mike Lindell and his effort over at FrankSpeech.com. FrankSpeech.com. If you haven't been there, go to FrankSpeech.com. It's been literally under assault. And check this out: um, they have now had one billion with a B page views on the website of Frank uh, FrankSpeech.com. You got all kinds of uh, TV shows going. You got all kinds of podcasts going. You got all kinds of things happening, Frank, and it is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. So uh, it's really cool. So let me let me give you a backstory on this. Um, 
it's to the tune of tens of millions, probably more like $100 million that Mike Lindell of MyPillow has spent to get frankspeech.com set up. And it's meant to be a total free speech place. You know, only of the only couple of things that he will not allow, he's not going to allow people to use the F word. He's not going to be allow people to use the C word, the N, uh, the N word, or take the Lord's name in vain, I guess. So, but it is really, really cool. It's amazing to see. And when, when Mike started setting it up, he got it set up, and then he went... Um, you know, he got servers. He didn't want to rely on Amazon servers. He got outside servers. He didn't want to rely on other stuff. He got all this stuff together. He basically built the whole thing out. And then the best part about this, I have to tell you, what, what it was extraordinary to see. I was in Memphis with him yesterday. As the thing rolls out, it's immediately under assault, right? It's being attacked by all kinds of, uh, of uh, malware and outside people trying to hit on it to take it down. And they're taking it down. Like, it's banging away. It's like, it's like failing and what does he do? He's like, we had a backup plan. The backup plan is we're going to live stream. We're going to do all this. And he's just phenomenal. He drops the same day, he drops a lawsuit against Dominion for $1.6 billion. The lawsuit is by MyPillow, the, the, uh, the business, which has almost 2,600 employees. And he basically hammers out a way um, to get good attention on what's happening all the time. Directionally, always positive. He's, he's always positive in, in his direction on what he's doing. It's an extraordinary talent. It's an extraordinary gift. I told him I was going to teach my kids about how to be like uh, Mike, Mike Lindell because he just is an extraordinary talent at being able to get people to believe that what's happening is a positive thing, right? That what's happening is, is good and it's going to work out and it's going to be really good. I mean, it's going to be fine. And he just does it over and over again. It's amazing to see. It's really something to see, and I'm really um, I'm so impressed by his um, by his nature to spend time with him. Now back to FrankSpeech.com. FrankSpeech.com very important because you're going to see it develop. I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I think you're going to develop and see it be a um, a place for people to come and for them to gather um, with freedom, that's true. But also, over time, they'll have the facility, they'll have the facility um, to be able to, um, to be able to uh, um, make things work for them. Because a lot of the places, if you've got free speech, you, know, you, you say the wrong thing, you're shut down, right? If you say the wrong thing, you're shut down. And, with, and so you, what his goal is here is to give the space. So if you go there right now, oh, and the other thing I have to say is, Today um, he did launch a, uh, a very important. He was launching the new, the next generation uh, of his his um, of his documentaries on the election stuff. First one was called Absolute Proof, uh, Absolute Proof, and um, and then the um, the next one. Let's see, let me pull it up here. It's up today. Is um, is in the Informed Republic. I think it's Informed Republic. Um, and uh, and so anyway, right now, if you go to Info, if you go right now and you go look at uh, uh, FrankSpeech.com, you'll see the studio uh, in in uh, in uh, in Nashville. Uh, excuse me, in Memphis, as they're undertaking this, and it's just it's really just phenomenal. It's just a, it's just a um, it is really just a and you know one billion people now have looked at his website since he went up yesterday. And, of course, when Absolute Proof, the documentary, came out, 150 million people watched that, right? That was extraordinary. 
and the follow-up that is coming uh, is um, is called um, is just launching right now, and um, it, it is. Um, he, I don't know if he'll be able to. I was asking him yesterday. Did he think he would be able to get um, the uh, the the next? Um, documentary to get that kind of buzz because the first one it was almost like they shut him down and that was what got him the attention right I mean he he um, he, he actually sort of rode the wave uh, of the attention for being silenced for absolute proof and uh, and so it is um, it's going to be interesting to see if he can pull it off again because it is um, just total um, it's totally his style right he's an amazing um, amazing guy and I will tell you you know one of the guys who's a star of this next um, documentary is um, is uh, General Flynn, and I was talking to General Flynn, and he he said, uh, you know, Ed, it's really really well done. Um, so look for that. Go to frankspeech.com and you can uh, check that out, and you're gonna want to you're gonna want to see what's happening there. And it's very good. I'm I'm really optimistic. I'm encouraged, and more importantly, as I mentioned, he just keeps trying to do the right things. You know, it's just a good thing to have guys do the right things and go try to be positive in the right direction. And that's what he's doing. So, all right. Well, speaking of positive in the right direction, I want to say thank you to our great uh, Noah for his uh, keeping us on time uh, and keeping the show going and all that, our great producer. Also, Joanna for booking our great guests. Thank you to Carrie Severino for coming on and uh, also for our many great authors who spend time with us. We appreciate them very much. And we will be back uh, tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here at the Pro America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and get signed up for the daily wink there and listen to all these great interviews. We will talk tomorrow. Ed Martin, Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego.